Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 13th episode of Beyond the Echo Chamber. No, this is not a drill. This is really Angari Rice. I was in a state of shock too for a while. Uh, she Did I hire an impersonator? No, I didn't. She really came on the show. Um, I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land, the Bunurong tribe of the Kulin Nation, and I want to pay my respects to elders past and present for allowing me to publish, edit, and record my podcast and acknowledge that this always was always will be stolen aboriginal land um guys this is a really good episode i'm trying not to say guys i'm sorry this is a really fun episode folks i oh it's just we gav we have a good time i apologize for the background noise it was in the library and i couldn't get a private space because covid and yes this episode was recorded two hours before lockdown began well is beginning in actually half an hour for me um yeah this i really like this episode and i really hope you guys like it too and gary rice is such a kind and caring person and i think that's really demonstrated in this and she really opens up about her life and acting and i think this is a really good episode that you'll enjoy have a good night xoxo Welcome, Aunt Gary Rice, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Am I talking loud enough? Oh, yes, perfect. Okay. It's so great to have you on the show. Let's jump straight in because this is currently being recorded three hours before we head into a stage four lockdown. <laughs> um, fine. Starting from the start, what's your name all about? Aunt Gary. I, I haven't met another Aunt Gary, I'm going to be honest. Um, there are no other Aunt Garys. Actually, there is one. A friend messaged me and was like, my friend just had a baby and called her Angari. Oh my. Um, and I was like, no, that's my thing. Um, <laughs> no, Angari is the name of a beach in New South Wales. My um, my grandmother lived there before she died and my mum lived there with her. And so it's a very special place to my mum. And yeah, so I was named after the beach. And this new Angari is also named after the beach. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, I... I Yes, sorry, that's just so much going on. Um, I understand you grew up in a family of theatre and filmmakers, Lucky. Um, was that a natural pathway for you? Were you looking into other things? Like, I feel like I would have been like, oh, whoops. Um, I feel like I would have been like, oh, my parents are filmmakers, I want to be a gymnast. Like, It's <laughs> funny you say that, my sister's a gymnast. Oh my god, yeah. queen. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I grew up around the theatre. I always loved performing. Like, I did dance um, when I was younger, and I just always loved putting on shows for my parents and for my friends. And I would, like, come home from, you know, sitting in on my parents' rehearsals and just, like, know all the words, and I would, like, put practice thing in the bathroom mirror. So I just always loved it. But I did have this thing, this, like, kind of rebellious thing where I was like, no, I don't want to do theatre. I only want to do film. Oh, my God. So, because I was like, no, that's my parents' thing. Like, I don't want to be in theatre. Um, so I guess I guess it was a bit of both. It felt very natural. But then I still wanted to, like, do my own thing in a way. Yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely. And then we, when, at what age were you like, ooh, I could, like, make a career out of this? <laughs> I don't know. I guess... Um, I was auditioning for like student short films for a long, so like from when I was maybe like seven to when I was 
11 or 12, I was doing um, short films for university students. And that was like so much fun because it was like a proper story. I got to learn like actual lines and like it felt like a movie. And um, I don't know, I guess I still don't think like, I mean, I, I do think of it as like a career for me, but I'm still kind of, it still feels tenuous. It feels like, you know, the next film I do could be like the last film I ever do. <laughs> you know, really it just feels so, um, I guess, precarious. And I think the industry definitely like instills that in you. Like, oh, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> and your mom is your agent, is that correct? No, she's not. What? Where did I read this? I, I swear there was like a whole age article about how like your mum picks and rolls for you. <laughs> like, this was from like 2016. Well, I was going to ask a question about mummages, but never mind. No, I mean, she did, she, because she has a background in theatre and writing, I've always like asked her opinion on everything. And she it has always like taught me to kind of read things critically and with, you know, like... Yeah, just analyze things like you would a text in English, and I think that's been really helpful. And um, yeah, so I don't. No, she's <laughs> she hasn't been like this Whoops. crazy like state parent. <laughs> no, don't worry. Um, but I have. She is. She has definitely like been a great help in making decisions. Yeah. Someone's got to tell the age. Um, <laughs> how did you manage your own mental health in VC while also shooting feature films? You know, I don't know if I really did. <laughs> um, the the look, my parents' um, attitude was always like, or my mom's attitude especially was like, we will do whatever, whatever you can to um, reduce stress. For her, it wasn't about, and for me as well. Well, actually, for me, it was about getting really good marks. But for her, she was like, the marks don't matter. You have to like prioritize your mental health and like de-stress yeah um but you know I've, I've always been a high achiever I've always loved um <laughs> yeah just working really hard for things and so I did that in school I wanted to be a high achiever I wanted to get really good marks and I also wanted to you know do a good job in the film so I don't know I kind of felt like torn a lot of the time about where to dedicate my energy and I would always like choose film because you know that's a professional environment like people are counting on you to mm. deliver um, and but I would stress a lot that I that when I was working I couldn't keep up the marks that I did when I wasn't working mm. so um, so yeah I didn't do my exams because I was filming something at the same time literally my, I flew to South Africa on the day of my first exam. Oh my god. I know. And I was sitting there like and they like wanted me to do there was an option to do my exams in South Africa. <laughs> and I was like, but I'm gonna be in pre production. I was gonna be like I was like I had to learn a dance, I had to like learn my lines, I, you know, we had to do rehearsals and I was like I I felt like I, I opted to not do my exams and I still got the VCA because they took my gas and they took my I got a special consideration oh. which is great yeah so they took my gas scores and my SAC scores and all of that and um so I did get my VCA which was great but I felt like such a failure for coming oh. out of my exams and I was like and my mom was like you have to like either work yourself to the bone and do your exams or let it go and you have to be okay with that and 
now I'm okay with it. <laughs> but at the time, I was like really upset that I couldn't do everything. Oh my god, that the gut has actually just been delayed for the fourth time. <laughs> the gut has been through it this year. Look, I hated the gut. I had to do it twice because <gasps> I did a year 12 subject in year 11, so I had to do two gats. Oh my god, what 3-4 did you do in year 11? <laughs> I did German 3-4. Oh my, impressive. I'm doing religion, managing. It's great. <laughs> German feels a lot more though. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, look, I was pissy that I had to do the gat twice, but in the end it, it saved my my grade so <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do in the end i thank the gat <laughs> in the end we thank the gat thank you gat um how do you feel being in america being an australian in an american dominated industry i mean like obviously australia has a film industry but like you kind of hang out with the american <laughs> film industry yeah. yeah um you know it's it's always weird to travel and to to work um in a different country, that's a, that poses lots of different challenges. Um, I have only recently started traveling and working by myself because when you're under 18, you need a parent with you. Mm. Um, like that's a legal requirement in America, which is great. Um, but so recently I've started going by myself and it does, it does pose a few challenges. You know, when I, when I was younger and I had my mom or my dad there with me or sometimes we had a family friend as a chaperone. It was really great to have someone from home because you know you, they're your person and they understand you and they don't ask questions like it's unconditional. Um, yeah. But it's yeah, so it's weird traveling alone and feeling so separate. And then also, you know, only recently, like my sister said to me, she's like, "It's weird that you have friends <laughs> that I don't know about," and I'm like, "Yeah, that." is weird that is weird that like I have all these work friends that now my family doesn't get to meet or know so it is a bit strange but like in the end the experience is invaluable to, to be able to travel and work in a different country and work has taken me so many exciting places so feel very grateful for definitely yeah. I find it so weird that you say like work friends because my work friends would be like the people I work at my acai bowl place <laughs> But yours is like, oh yeah, my friend like Ryan Gosling, the cocky man. Yeah, just like work friends. My workmates, oh god. <laughs> is this true? I found this out today. I refuse to believe it's true. Was the beguiled shot in Jennifer Coolidge's house? Yes, it was. That's ridiculous. It what is Jennifer was. Coolidge doing? I don't know. What? She just has a, a lovely house in New Orleans. Um, that yeah, half of it was shot there and half of it was shot further out of New Orleans, but yeah. And Sophia Coppola was just like, oh, Jennifer Coolidge, nice I know, house. I know, it was, yeah. I, I remember finding that out at the time while we were filming and thinking, huh, that's so strange. <laughs> like, of course it's Jennifer Coolidge but there, like, like queen. I never got to meet her, I wish I had. That would be so cool, but yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, as a successful actor, I don't, I don't know if you want me to say successful actor, I wrote celebrity ori originally, but I wasn't <laughs> sure if you were comfortable with that. Living in Australia at these strange COVID times, I mean, we're about to enter a lockdown. Are you worried about the future of the Australian arts industry? I mean, I certainly am. Yeah, I am. I'm, I think the film industry is going to be okay. I think, you know, because a lot of American productions are coming here and or to New Zealand. Um, and it's great because they're hiring, you know, local Aussie crews. They might bring in imported heads of department, but like 
the crew is Australian, so I think I think the film industry will be will be okay. I wonder what it means for Australian films, and I also wonder what it means for theatre, because um, you know my family works in theatre. I've always loved theatre, um, and yeah, it is it is hard when you know theatre depends on people on audiences being there in person and that's what makes it so magical and exciting is the live aspect of it um and yeah i think but you know i i think like um my mum did a research project on the on the 1919 flu pandemic oh yeah she did a research on theater during that time and kind of what happened in australia during that time and you know theater managed to bounce back and i think the arts industry is is built by resilient people, um, especially you know if, if governments kind of implicitly tell you by not funding or like defunding your programs that they don't really care, um, then you know you have to sustain the industry with people who really care about it and people who want it to survive. And um, so I think it will bounce back, and I but I I think it will take will take more people to get excited about it and I'm excited about it and, and also to like be mindful of of supporting the industries and the small businesses and the local businesses that you love mm. throughout this time. Definitely yeah. from Art Centre to Small Little Mama who yeah. we love, who we <laughs> yeah, love and appreciate. Exactly. Um, so you have a podcast called The Community Library. I love that. Right. <laughs> um, explain the concept to me. What happens? What goes on? Yeah, it's a fun podcast. Um, it's it's about books and movies and pop culture, mostly books. Um, and every week I kind of sit down and talk about a book or a movie or both, or, you know, discourse around books and movies and how we talk about them. And, and I guess my main focus with it is to talk about books in a really kind of accessible way that will hopefully inspire people to fall in love with reading the way they did when they were a kid because um, a lot of my friends at least would say like oh when I was nine I would just like chew through books in a day like and then once you get to high school it, it becomes a chore it becomes boring um, and a lot of my friends like missed that and were talking to me about missing reading um, and feeling like it was this kind of inaccessible like um chore so my aim with it is to make it um is to like i don't know i guess inspire people to fall in love with reading again and also to make some of those books that people might think are inaccessible or scary or academic more um relatable and understandable that sounds amazing i love that i mean i'm (laughs) going through that right now i'm trying to like force myself to read but it's just like it's hard it's hard and I think um I I get like a lot of people say to me like oh I should read more it's like well if you want to yes but I don't think anyone should do anything but but I think um I think reading is such a special experience and a special way of communicating stories and um yeah I love it and I want to share that with the world and it feels like a a safe community where I can, you know, I guess it's a creative outlet as well because in the film industry, 
there's so much there's so little you have control over mm. um, and this is a podcast where I can like you know I control everything I do everything myself so you know it's scary because there's nothing to hide behind but it also means that I can make it um, exactly what I want it to be and exactly what I want to say and share mm. and do you think podcasting is very like different outlet to acting like do you find yourself being more or less challenged yeah I, I do think they're different think I think they challenge me in different ways um, acting is what I know and what I feel most comfortable in I think um, and podcasting is kind of a new thing for me you know it's also about like I mean you would know this it's about you know the techie techie stuff like editing and sharing and uploading and getting links I'm like oh RSS uh. <laughs> it's a lot um, but I do think the podcast challenges me because it it forces me to um, do research. It's basically I've, I've created my own university course or like <laughs> high school course. Like I set myself assignments that I have to research and write notes for, and I think yeah, it challenges me in a more kind of academic way. And it, acting does do that, but it's also so much about. Um, uh, it's. I think acting for me is a lot more emotional, and the podcast is a lot more academic, and it's kind of filled the void in my heart after leaving school. <laughs> mm. I actually find podcasting more challenging because with acting, I feel like if I run out of words, I can use movement. But like, mm. no one's hiding you in podcasting. It's just you alone with your voice. And if you hate your voice, oh, <laughs> podcasting is bad to edit. Oh my god, I really struggled with that editing my own voice. Also, it's interesting, I wonder if you've noticed this, but when I would bring friends on the podcast, I would start to notice their speech patterns in a way that I hadn't before. It was so weird. I feel like I know my friends' voices so much more intimately now. Yeah, I find myself, like, getting angry at people. Like, I was, like, like when I, like, interview certain politicians, I, like, find, themself, find them going on rambles. I'm almost like, stop. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Next question. We're going to cut that there. We've had enough. We don't care about your family values, babe. Oh like, we're done. We're done. Um, you are one of the very few well-known actors I know I'm aware of whose podcasts aren't just interviewing other actors. No disrespect. I love Mark Maron's podcast. I love Dex Shepard's podcast. But it is interviewing other celebrities. What about, what's behind your choice to focus on literature and bring people in such as your sister? I'm not saying your sister's not famous, but like, you got know what I mean? Instead of like Ryan Gosling, who you could just like call up and be like, hey babe, like, come on. Um, I guess for me, I think, uh, I don't know. I, 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 work with, I work with actors. I am an actor. And I think I like to have that separation in my life. I like to... Um, you know, it, it's a, it's my passion. Oh my god, that sounds so annoying, um, but it is, <laughs> and it's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, but I also want to cultivate, you know, other things that I'm interested in and find. You know, there's always a thought in the back of my head, like, oh, you need a backup plan. So, um, yeah, I guess I I wanted to. My main, actually, the main reason why I started the podcast was a very selfish reason and it was for um for education like my own education like I wanted some sort of structure in my life I wanted something to keep me um motivated to read and analyze and like 
essentially I just wanted to like go back to English class but actually get to choose the books I read and choose what I talk about um, so I think that's that's why and it never occurred to me like the thought of the podcast didn't come first and then I thought oh I want a podcast what am I going to talk about it was more like I want to like go to university without actually having to do it <laughs> um, how can I make that happen and should I share it with the world and then I thought yeah why not <laughs> Your reasons sound a lot less selfish than mine. My only two reasons for starting was that I wanted to interview Kate Miller-Heidke, irrelevant of oh the context. God. I know, I was just, it was like year eight and she was on Eurovision and I was like, oh my God, I should start a podcast. Did you get to interview her? No. It's I contacted her, never happened. It's not, it's, it's not too late. True. I mean, the podcast is still running. You... Hit her up. Same with Pauline Hanson. She actually agreed to be on the podcast and then just like got really angry at me. Like, as in, like, she was like, I'll be on the podcast. And then she, like, stopped answering emails. And I was like, girly pop, like, I'm trying to arrange your time. And she was like, no. Oh, my God. Thanks, Pauline. So interesting. Ooh. I reckon she just, like, listened to it and finally realized that I'd just be, like, attacking her. <laughs> Sorry, Pauline. Um, what kind of, like, research process do you go through? I mean, like, I feel like how res- like you're, you get to stay, like, literature, might while mine was, like, watching Angara Rice, Hollywood interviews. Angara Rice. <laughs> Australian slang oh my gosh um you know I do find research in the strangest places I have found like like I've done some um some episodes on like Taylor Swift and Shakespeare and and then the Taylor Swift portion is just watching Taylor Swift interviews (laughs) or like I found this whole like reddit thread of someone like listing all the Taylor Swift songs in order so that they make this like big epic story <laughs> that's like the great Gatsby and so I read through that and I was like why hang on focus why am I reading this <laughs> um, so it, research does take me to interesting places and but it is if, if I have an idea for a podcast the first thing I do is I google to see if someone else has done it first and then I'll read their thing or watch their thing and take quotes from that and see what I want to say with it and um yeah, and often, like, if I find what I'm reading boring, <laughs> like, if I find this, like, long academic article that I don't really want to read, then I just won't use it in my research. So I take a lot of inspiration and research from video essayists on YouTube who do similar things. Um, the vlog brothers, I find, do <laughs> such, like, snappy three minutes. Like, it's great. I love that content. And even like tiktoks and not that i'm on tiktok but i spent <laughs> yeah. hours on reels oh same i deleted tiktok in last october but every hour i swear to god why did they have to do that to us i honestly like i wish i could deactivate the reels function on Instagram. i've looked into it trust you me can't? i can't i was like i this is gonna half my screen time i deleted tiktok for this reason and now i can't stop no it's just it's too much it's painful <laughs> i agree <laughs> Um, moving on, what are the top three ways you connect to your script characters? Um, that's a good question. I think, um, I find it really difficult to read scripts sometimes. I, unlike with books, the scripts are the bare bones. It's like reading a recipe. Um, and sometimes I find that really hard to kind of like visualize what it is actually going to be. Because you can't, sometimes you really can't tell. But I always find it's a good sign if I start like mouthing the words. 
I was, sitting, I was reading a script yesterday sitting next to my sister and she just looked at me and laughed and I was like, what? <laughs> she was like, you were actually mouthing the words. I was like, oh, okay, that's a good sign. <laughs> so I think it does start with the script. If I feel like the dialogue feels real and I could see myself saying it. And then um, I also think, um, I think costumes is a way that I really connect to characters, ha- like styling costumes and hair and makeup um and that and that happens you know quite close to before we start filming it happens in the pre-production phase but putting on costumes for the first time and seeing what you know the designers envision the character to look like is such a big moment for me it's always so exciting because then if if they do their job well, which they always do, then sometimes I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, I, I don't look like myself, I look like this character. And that's really helpful, because, mm. I don't know, I, I feel like I don't want to look like myself in every single thing. Um, it's more fun to, uh, it's just a way that I, I guess, separate myself or distinguish myself from the character. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's only really two reasons for you. No, yeah. valid, absolutely. I love both of those. I mean, I feel like it would have been very easy, especially with the beguiled through the costumes, to just be like, oh, that yeah. is not me. Because really, it really puts you in a time and place. Um, with Meribeast Town as well, with their haircut, I mean, I only oh, true. I got that haircut for the, for the show. So seeing myself, like, it didn't even feel like, me (laughs) it didn't even feel like like that haircut was just the character it wasn't any part of me even though I had to wear it when we weren't filming it was so specific to that character Mm. and puts you in a time and place and yeah it's great I love it I love that so you're just you're not one of those actors I've seen in a lot of like Hollywood roundtables they're like yeah like I just like read the script overnight and I just connected so much like do you find yourself doing that? I do find myself doing that. If it's a really, really special script, and then I won't stop thinking about it. And there are some things that, like, I thought that I had lost, and then they came back again and said, we don't want you for the lead, but we're interested for, like, a side character. Like, can you audition? And I'll be like, yes, I've been thinking about the script nonstop. Oh <laughs> so there are some that do stick in my brain, and I feel a connection to straight away. There are also some where I read a character and I think, I'm so different to this person. And then if I get the job and I, and I get on set, then I'm like, oh, actually, we're a lot more similar than I think. Or sometimes it happens the other way around, where I think I'm exactly like this character. And then if I get the job and I get on set, I'm like, oh, I see more differences now. I think it's always like, I don't know, it's, it's never my first impression, I think. Mm. It, it takes me a bit to process and understand. And how, if you're, like, disconnected from a character, how do you find yourself kind of getting back to it? Hmm. I think... Um, I think with good writing, if you, if you come back to the writing, you can see the character. Um, and that's where I think the character lies. I think if, if, I, if, I'm, if I lose myself in a character, maybe it's that I've learnt the words wrong or that I'm... Mm. Or that there's a decision that I don't quite understand um, and then it's about I guess thinking through it in a more kind of logical way of like I mean I never went to acting school but I'm <laughs> my parents went to acting school and it seems to be a very kind of 
you know, the, the actor's process. Like, what does this character want? What is their objective in this scene? Mm. Whose scene is it? Who's asking the questions? Who's answering the questions? Like, thinking about it, I guess, in a way that you would, like, analyze a book. Um, what are the characters' motivations? Like, that, I think, just thinking about it in a more logical way is helpful sometimes. Because I think, a lot, like, a lot of the times we just rely on instinct and sometimes it works and then sometimes it's also, like, well, sometimes your instinct isn't always right. Mm. <laughs> or your instinct needs a, just a little bit more thought, I don't know, to back it up, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And playing like a, I'm not sure what the right word is, like a TV newsreader person in <laughs> Spider-Man, yeah. did that like lead you to podcasting? Like, is there a connection <laughs> there? Did that kind of like guide you? It didn't actually, but I... Interesting. I love that theory. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm thinking. I hadn't ever thought of it like that. Um... Yeah, so, so no, but actually on the second Spider-Man, that was when I started thinking about the podcast and when I started, oh, wow. that's when I recorded my first like test episode. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so it was during that time. Um, but no, maybe, maybe subconsciously, yeah. <laughs> maybe I just love hearing the sound of my own voice. <laughs> possibly, possibly. <laughs> Um, your character in Mare of Easttown, Siobhan. I actually love the name Siobhan. I'm thinking of it for like a kid. I don't know. Do I'm it, into it. Please, because on set, everyone, like no one had heard of it before. Really? Yeah. I knew it from Succession. Oh, I haven't Sarah seen Sarah Snook, Queen. Oh my God, she's a legend. Do you know her like personally? I worked with her on my very first film when I was oh, 11. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, she's incredible. She's, I would love to work with her again. But yeah, Siobhan, I know a few Siobhans actually. Mm. I don't know if I could put my kid through like the spelling though. I feel like every time yeah. they'd come to a new school, it'd be like, how do you spell it? Siobhan. Like, yeah. it'd be awkward yeah, for them. It'd be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> true, true, true. true. My parents, like, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, so your character in Maravistan, Siobhan, very mature in the way she deals with her emotions. I love it. Like, there's Kate Winslet and Jean Smart, very hectic characters. Yeah. You're just chilling. You're vibing. <laughs> Um, do you think you've learned a lot about processing your own emo emotions through this character? Yeah, I, th I, I think so. I mean, Siobhan for me was like such a, an emotional roller coaster to play. Um, I think when I first read the script, I was like, we're so different. She's a teen rebel, like they're never going to cast me for this. And then the more I sat with the script, the more I was like, no, she's the rock of the family. She's the one, like, holding everything together. She doesn't... She's not allowed to feel scared or upset or out of control because everyone around her is feeling that and she needs to, like, keep it together. And I definitely relate to that. I feel like, you know, working in, in films when I was a teenager, I felt like, oh, this is, people were counting on me. Like, this is a mm. professional job. Like, I can't screw this up. I have to... Um, keep it together all the time so I definitely related to that and I um, yeah I, I do think she also I mean I felt like we kind of went through this like whole emotional journey together mm, because I, I got the job when I was 18 and then um, by the time it came out I was 20 so it's been like a two-year process for Mare mm. of Easttown so I really feel like a lot has happened I mean we we shut down through COVID so really yeah it was 
like spread out over COVID, like we shut down in March and then had to go back um, to film the last third. So it was a huge journey. So I do mm. feel like um, I learned a lot from playing that character. Yeah. Mm, definitely. And did you expect Murphy's Town to blow up so much? No. <laughs> I mean, I think I knew it was, did I know it was going to be good? I, I thought it was going to be good. I mean, I read the script. I was like, this is a great script. You've got great people attached. You've got a great director, great writer, great producers. It's HBO. Like when I saw all those like keywords in the email, I was like, well, I think it's going to be good. But you, you never know. Mm. <laughs> you never really know. And there's always a seed of doubt, I think. Because you don't want to get your hopes up. Yeah. But I did feel like I got the two episodes in advance before they came out. And when I saw the two episodes, they weren't even... Like, they were finished, but they weren't... Like, they still had some green screen stuff that they hadn't done. Yeah. And the music wasn't quite there yet. And, like, some of the audio was a bit weird. So it was like a rough cut. But when I saw the first two episodes, I was like, oh, I think this is really good. <laughs> I yeah. think people are going to like it. But, like, I never... I mean, like, Stephen King tweeted about it. I was like... He did? Yeah. Mindy Kaling tweeted about it. Oh, my God. It, like, actually, like, blew my mind. <laughs> so I did not expect it to be as huge as it was, but it it felt so, like, heartwarming to... Because I know, like, how hard the whole crew worked on that show, how hard everyone worked, and it was great to see it come to life on screen and to see people enjoying it yeah definitely and do you have kind of that thing with your projects I feel I have that especially with my most recent theatre show I mean I've been working on it for so long that I was I had like this panic I was like is this actually good or do I just think it's good because I've been on it for so long yeah yeah definitely there's definitely an element of that with everything I think um you get so wrapped up in the world and the whole crew gets wrapped up in the world as well just being there every day and seeing it happen live um so then you think so it's like well yeah i think it's good when i'm in the room but you never know how it's going to come together and, mm. and and you do feel too close to it and i still kind of feel too close to it like i still feel like i mean with all of the things that i do i feel like i could never ever have an objective opinion on it um same with my family they they well my family's more objective than I can be but with my own performance as well like I'm so self-critical of my own performance yeah. and then my family they're like well I don't know if you're good because it's weird I know you too well it's mm. like you, you're you so I guess there is that element of being too close to something or too close to someone to really see it for what it is yeah, I absolutely get that whole objectivity thing. I mean, I literally fell on stage the other night, just like bang, fell. And I was like, I was backstage, and I was like, this is the end, everything's fucked. No. And everyone was like, you did? Like, no one noticed. Yeah. I was like, how did you not notice? It was such a big fall for me. Um, I love Siobhan because she's queer, but it's not like, oh my God, she's queer. Like, I love it, I love it. It's a great queer representation. What has playing the part of Siobhan taught you about the queer experience? Yeah, I think, um, you know, what I loved about Siobhan's storyline is that through all this chaos, she gets to have a love story. Mm. And 
the love story for her like isn't the isn't the main source of her drama, which I kind of really loved. And I I actually took a few of my mates to the Melbourne screening, which was so fun. We all got dressed up and went together. It was so great. And my friend said to me, she was like, I it was so lovely to see an established queer relationship Mm. that wasn't totally perfect. And so I also liked that that the the relationship she's in at the start feels it's established and it's not a huge thing but it isn't this like holy relationship yeah. it's like they have a few issues and it felt so real and grounded to me and that kind of through through this whole show like through Siobhan's whole journey the her love story is kind of this bit of lightness that she gets mm. um you know amongst everything that she's dealing with with her parents and her nephew like she gets this kind of like little golden moment of like falling in love um and it's part of her coming of age story i think mm-hmm. and part of what teaches her to kind of let go of her town and yeah i i just really i think i loved how positive it was but also real and i think just the whole show in general i think the writer did such a good job of making everything feel like grounded but you always have these like kind of funny moments or moments of lightness so it doesn't feel too like heavy and bleak yeah i get you absolutely um from your breakout role in 26 i don't want to call it breakout role because i don't want to be like you didn't do shit before that but i mean like the I keep I keep thinking it's the good guys, the nice the guys. Nice. <laughs> like yeah. I feel like that was like yeah, little step off the pier. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, was, good. Yeah. I was like worried with that. I was like, yeah, she didn't do anything important before that, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I did love Nowhere Boys. I have to say that <gasps> Nowhere Boys was my childhood, and my brother <laughs> like like obviously like I'm not saying he like didn't know you, but when I he like I was like she was a Nowhere Boys. He was like no. Like, no. Like, Nowhere Boys was, like, an iconic part of Australian history. Anyway. Honestly, so iconic. Like, I I loved it as well. I loved the series and then the movie. Like, it's weird because I was in it. But, yeah, it was so fun. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, back, back to breakout roles. From your breakout role in 2016, you've worked pretty solidly in Hollywood. But that also means your professional journey has coincided with the Me Too movement, a really important movement. Like, what's been the impact on your professional life? Yeah, I think it definitely was a turning point for everyone in the industry. I think um, I feel very lucky. I feel so grateful and so much admiration and um, for, like, the women who, like, came forward and kind of sparked this movement. And everyone who like came like came and supported them as well because they had been talking about this before but like no one had listened Mm. um and I think you know it's I do I have seen a change like I actually really have seen a change not that things were terrible Mm. for me personally before like I didn't have terrible experiences my experiences have always been so positive on every film set and I've been so fortunate in that um but the, I think it, it has changed things and it's made people um, think about what they say or what they do and, and, you know, maybe think twice about certain things. And I don't think that's a bad thing, even if mm. I just, I, yeah, I think it's, it's 
being really positive um, and it I just feel so fortunate that it has co that that like me and a lot of other young actors are going into an industry that has gone through that mm. and has seen what what can happen if um, if you're a horrible person in that industry like yeah. they know what can happen and I think that's um, I think that's good to, to, to teach people that like th that where you work should be a safe place like it just should be yeah. yeah definitely and do you think there's a real need for all film and tv sets now to have like intimacy professionals i know i read that your intimacy professional was kate winslet which is <laughs> wild but we we had an intimacy coordinator on maravis town and then kate was also there on the day just like making sure that everything was cool um yeah i think it's really important i think um i think it's also important to just have an open conversation about it and also I mean it really depends what happens on the day and in the room and it's also about keeping I mean yes talking about it in an open way like so that everyone feels okay about it but also keeping those conversations like on set on the day to just like the three people who need to know you know mm. the director and the two actors like that's I think I think that's also what people have kind of um, um, what's changed a little bit maybe is is um, making yeah making those um, what am I trying to say yes basically to get on track yes I think intimacy coordinators are great and I think it's great that that discussion has started around filmmaking so that even if a film doesn't have the budget for an intimacy coordinator or that's not on their crew list then that's still a conversation to be had um when going in to film those those scenes yeah definitely um moving on i really liked your letter to scott morrison on instagram surrounding the bushfires of summer of 2020 saying you were quite disgusted mm -hmm. loved that as <laughs> as a climate activist myself i was very i was very glad to see actors stepping up to the plate what role do you think actors such as yourself have in the climate crisis? I don't mean contributing, but like, yeah, basically, like, do you think there should you should be doing projects about it? Like, what role do you think you have? Mm, I think, um, you know, we live in a world where I don't know if you watch Bo Burnham's Inside, oh, but of course, um, <laughs> of course, where everyone has access to everything all the time, and that can be a bad thing, but. Um, you know, as we've seen with the pandemic, like it has been so like invaluable in tracing things, in contacting people, in spreading messages, and that's that's the biggest thing about the internet. I mean, it's communication, mm. um, and it's a way to communicate and reach people um, on a on a kind of more personal, intimate level. And so, I do think, I do feel a responsibility with you know followers on instagram and people who will listen to me and click on a link if i tell them to for better mm. or for worse yeah. um <laughs> i do have a responsibility that comes with that i think um and also you know i think i i want to focus on making a difference in in the community as well with like um people that i think i can reach and mm. you know i 
I've looked at like my audience breakdown on Instagram. I know who I'm talking to and it's it's young people. Yeah. Mostly young people in the US and in Australia. So and I know that like I have a lot of like if you look at the city breakdown, like most of my followers live in Melbourne. Really? So, I didn't know I could get a city breakdown. Yeah, oh, I can you look must at, like, have an advanced cities. one. Oh my god. <laughs> and like insights, which is super interesting and it's great because it helps me know who I'm talking to who I'm reaching and I know that like okay if most of my audience is Australian I know that if I talk about Scott Morrison like I can reach all these people who Mm. know who Scott Morrison is who have the ability to vote Um, so I do feel a sense of responsibility and sometimes it feels like a a lot and (laughs) impending and scary but um but if I think that I can reach all these people who are concerned about the same thing that I am, then um, yeah, it can help people stay angry, I guess, and stay mm, uh, focused and keep thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I read a really I what there's a whole YouTube video about it. I watched a really interesting theory last night when I was doing a little research on you about how your episode of Black Mirror, which I loved. I I only realized like a week ago that that was you. I was like, <laughs> what? Um, that Miley Cyrus's character is in like an allegory, like a metaphor for Britney Spears. Oh yeah, yeah. And like the Free Britney movement. Like, what are your thoughts on this? I see that, yeah. I, I do see that. I think um, I, I loved how much the episode was about celebrity culture and mm what it means to be a huge fan of things and how much fans um, feel that they know a celebrity even though they don't Mm. Um, and also you know as we see with Miley in that episode like how she is controlled by her brand and how that happens with other artists and how the people around Ashley O try to control her and fit her into this brand and we can see that that's like happened with Britney as well and that um yeah I I I do see that as a as a theory and an allegory and I think the episode at least like talking about it in the room it's very much I think I think it very much calls back to this whole history and long line of pop stars and celebrities who were like marketed as a thing as a brand Mm. rather than like feeling like a person so yeah that's so interesting can you send me the video absolutely <laughs> there's a very like 15 minute video explaining the whole theory yeah. i love it and you'd obviously be in it um <laughs> i've seen you follow the australian greens love that on instagram and you've been quite outspoken surrounding your politics do you think your own politics inform the roles that you choose i mean obviously you're not going to pick a role from like a racist director or whatever <laughs> but surrounding like do you feel like you kind of attain to certain roles such as Siobhan who's a very edgy leftist yeah I it this is something that has changed I think I think what was possibly like a big turning point for me was the 2019 election because I had just turned 18 so I was able to vote for the first time and I like did my research it was like a school project I like read (laughs) I like googled all the parties read up on their policies like came up with this whole spreadsheet like and when I went into the booth like I knew exactly what I was going to do what how I was going to number it Mm. um and 
and also the podcast has taught me a lot about reading things critically with a critical eye and like deconstructing stories and looking at okay what is this story saying about our culture what what kind of messages is it promoting so I do think like that coinciding with the podcast and also coinciding with like I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where um, I can choose my projects um, what am I trying to say with that yeah I, I think like it has changed where I I read scripts now as if it an English text <laughs> and um, and it does inform the projects that I pursue and what I connect with um, because ultimately like the um, you know my political beliefs and what I think is good and right and in the world and what I think should could change in the world that is part of who I am and so it's also part of what I want to um, put out in the world and be a part of and also what kind of stories I connect to I think just inherently like because it's a part of me like I gravitate towards certain stories in that sense but it does um, thinking critically about um, about scripts um, yeah it has that's something that I've developed I think with help from the podcast and also listeners like um you know messaging me and suggesting things for the podcast and like mm. asking me to try new things like I think all of that has kind of helped choosing projects and reading scripts in a different way yeah. definitely and do you think the 2019 election results were a big turning point for you personally I mean for me I spent 10 hours outside of the election polls at 13 handing out little cards being like vote for the climate and I was like Labor's gonna win this is gonna be great and then then it didn't and that was a big turning point for me personally. Like, do you feel like that kind of put you into a perspective where you were like, I live in a Victorian bubble? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I was so excited because it was my first election. I have, I didn't, have you been able to vote? I am election? 15, so I cannot <laughs> vote. Still got a bit more to go, fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, I was so excited because I was like, this is my first election. Everyone I went to school with, it's also their first election. Mm. Like, And it was such a big, just like, punch in the gut. Like, it was yeah. so upsetting. I do think um, where you live depends on... I think, I think um, yeah, how you feel about your community and who you surround yourself with does make you kind of... It makes me at least think... Um, I guess get a bit jaded or as you know as the name of this podcast suggests you kind of feel like you're in an echo chamber mm. and I, I realize that I do that on purpose as well like I surround myself with people I agree with with people who make me feel good and safe um, which I think is very important but it does mean that sometimes you kind of get caught off guard with like oh maybe people in other areas or other communities or people I don't talk to don't feel this way like not everyone yeah. feels the same way I think also like you know traveling and um, has opened me up to a lot of different perspectives and mm. realizing that um, and just seeing Australia and Australian politics from a different perspective um, yeah it was it was kind of a gut-wrenching moment but I also think 
like I'm, I'm hopeful. I think, I mean, that's what you can, that's the only thing you can hold on to. There's got to be an election in the next six months. Surely. Um, and I have to ask, what was it like working in America in this? I mean, you filmed Mayor of Easttown in basically an American dystopia. Like, Yeah, it was very strange going back during COVID to film and, you know, we were as safe as you can be on a film mm. set and that was really great. They took safety so seriously, which was fantastic. It was, kind, it was really scary. I mean, it, you know, at the same time, like, I was so lucky. I mean, I was one of the... I was lucky to travel at that time. I was mm. lucky to be able to go and finish off this job that I really cared about. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, an anxious traveler anyway. So yeah. <laughs> adding that on top of it, I was I was really anxious about it. Um, but I felt I was so grateful to the production, to um, for like making it a a, a safe process for us to finish mm. the show um and to yeah get it out there <laughs> mm. yeah. and you would have been working during a s melbourne's second lockdown while your whole family was in lockdown or was it just before I, that we were i left in i left during stage four um but i but by the time i got back everything was open again so it was oh, very weird wow. so I did majority of stage four um with Melbourne like I remember it very well <laughs> um so by September when I left you know I left stage four and I came back to everything being open and that was super weird like mm. I think from the from an emotional perspective like very strange because my mom and I kind of took stage four with us to America we were like we're going to apply all of Dan Andrew's rules <laughs> <laughs> while we're living here. And then, you know, I came back and I did hotel quarantine. And then coming out and, and seeing my city open again, I was kind of, it was such an emotional, overwhelming experience. I didn't know, because it hadn't been gradual for me. It had been mm. like that. So it, it was very, it was very strange. Yeah. Mm, definitely. Um, have you done much theatre acting? I mean, I did a little research. I couldn't find much. Not that that's a bad thing. <laughs> like, do you feel more connected to theatre or film? I know you said before you were kind of more interested in film as a child, but, I mean, I was very interested in film as a child. Did not did not get any film projects, though. Audition for Matilda. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, Tim. Didn't get me in. Rude. Yeah, did all those Bonds commercials. Didn't get in. But I feel like as I've grown and matured I've become really connected to theatre like I wonder if you've had the same experience I have actually um yeah I when I was younger me and my sister would we did I think two productions where they just needed like a little girl um and so we would alternate each night um and it was like a non-speaking role they just mm. needed like a small child um and so we would alternate um and then my family actually did a fringe production when I was like 13. Oh, um, amazing. Which was really fun. I, I loved that experience. But it's funny you mentioned that actually because like in 20, I would say like at the end of 2019, I said to my agent, like I, I want, like I keep seeing theater and I love it. Like I want to audition for more theater. And then obviously COVID <laughs> happened. And she was like, alas, maybe it's not meant to be. <laughs> 
I have, you know, I have been auditioning for theatre productions. I mean, mm. haven't gotten any. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a fun challenge. It's a really, it's a big challenge. It's so different to film. And, it, you know, it, it's actually just great to get practice, to learn this big chunk of text to perform it to, you know, it's just my bedroom because it's a self-tape, which is weird, but like to perform it as if you're performing to a large audience, it's a very different experience. So I am more interested in it. I mean, um, but in the meantime, like I'm just gonna keep keep watching theater. Hitting up Hollywood, <laughs> hitting up the theater. Um, before my final, final question, I have to ask, what are your thoughts? Cause I, since I've met you, I've now, like my, I've become, I'm obsessed with the degrees of separation, and thanks to you, my whole degrees of separation has opened up. Like, because of you, I am only two degrees of separation from Daniel Radcliffe, because you worked with Sophia Coppola, who worked with Emma Stone, who worked with Daniel Radcliffe. No, I'm three degrees. You're two okay. degrees. Uh, okay. What are your thoughts? I'm obsessed with degrees of separation. I am also obsessed with degrees of separation. I've been trying to get close to Taylor Swift for years, <laughs> and I think. You're one degree. That's true. So I just recently worked with Rebel Wilson, who worked with Taylor Swift. In I wasn't even thinking about that. I was oh, thinking about the fact, do you know this? Olivia Rodrigo follows you on Instagram. I did know this, which is crazy because I watched High School Musical, the musical, the series, and <laughs> I loved it. And then I, I, like, I watched it and I was like, that was so great. I love it. And then I went on Instagram to like follow her and I saw she followed me I was like what? I, just, I <laughs> wonder crazy. what production she was that makes you one degree separation from President Biden it does doesn't yeah. it? yeah makes me too <laughs> <laughs> I also love the degrees of separation I love it I, I find it so interesting but I feel like it'd be so much easier for you because you're just less than three from everyone in Hollywood <laughs> I mean Jennifer Coolidge Jennifer Coolidge zero lived in a house that's true um but me and my sister sometimes play a game where we try and get from one actor like one obscure actor to another <laughs> and so we like try and like find out all these it's like an imdb game that we play so <laughs> what is the most obscure connection you found oh, we always we always start with we try and start with like English daytime television because that's always like a good place to start not that this is obscure or that you know the actors haven't worked a lot because they have but that's the great thing if you find an actor who's like worked on one tv show for a long time mm. and then you like try and find other people and yeah yeah that's where we start <laughs> i love it. it's like the wiki game where you like get from one have you played that no. oh my god so it's like you start with for instance angara grace wikipedia page and you have to get to the Manchuria invasion and you have to click on different Wikipedia pages and you can't search it up on Wikipedia. Like you have to be like, and Gary Rice, Matt Damon, the great wall, like just keep that going. Like such an interesting. And you can just play game. it at family dinner. It's a good time. <laughs> I also love the word association game where you have to say, you say a word at the same time. Oh, you have yeah. to try and get to say the same word. Absolutely. That's a good one. I'm glad you're obsessed with the degrees of separation too, because I do not stop talking about it. Like, yeah, one degree of separation from Sophia Coppola, not like it's a big deal. <laughs> like, I care. Um, final question. What's on your bucket list, acting or otherwise? Uh, um, it could be I want to jump, bungee jump, or it could be I want to work with Meryl Streep. I don't want to bungee jump. I actually, Valid. That's not on my bucket list. Um, fear of heights, question mark? <laughs> well, fear of falling, 
valid. Also, like, just no. Like, <laughs> please Fair. no. Fair. Like, my sister's like, oh, yeah, I'd bungee jump. I'm like, no. I just would not. Just, like, I love roller coasters, but that is just too much for me. Interesting. Um, it feels way too scary. Bucket list. I, I would love to... I, I'd love to work with Meryl Streep, obviously. Um, I'd love to play a fairy or something with magical powers. Uh, um, I had magical powers in Noah Boys. True, <laughs> Which I love. But I'd love to have magical powers again. Um, like a wizard or a fairy or a vampire. Oh my god, I'd love to play a vampire. <laughs> something like that. Um, and then otherwise in my life, I don't know. I... I don't, I don't know. I'd love to be able to do chin-ups. <laughs> valid, valid. I would actually like to one day get to the splits, though I wonder if it's too late for that now. Never, never too never late. I had this idea that I would do it in hotel quarantine, like I'd learn to do the splits over two weeks, but alas, it didn't happen. <laughs> Fair. Um, well, I say nowhere boys reunion, question mark. <laughs> you never know. I'd love to. I'd love to. I, I saw one of your co-stars a cut like a year ago. I can't remember his name, but he's the one with like he's in Upper Middle Bogan as well. Dougie, Dougie Baldwin. He was at I I it was my first time and last time on the ABC morning show and he was at the cafe afterwards and I was like and he was like, Hi, like great job and I was like Like Brilliant. I was like fangirling but Brilliant. he was like fangirling over me and it was like too much for me to handle. <laughs> Don't know what he was doing at ABC Cafe at seven in the morning, but hey. <laughs> you do you. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a great chat. Thank you for having me. A lot me. of people are going to freak out over this, to say the least. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. You asked very thoughtful, insightful questions. Thank, so thank you. <laughs> thanks so much. Oh, what a fun episode. I had a really good time. I hope you all did too. Sorry it was a bit quiet. It was State Library. We had to talk quietly. Uh, oh, probably shouldn't say what location I was in. Whatevs. Um, if you like this episode, if you want to, I mean, subscribe, Avi. But if you want to talk about anything, talk about the episodes, who I should have on, what you like about it, what you don't like about it, things you want to have discussions with me about, email me. I beg you. I have nothing else to do in this lockdown. Be on the echo chamber at gmail.com. Hit me up. Tell me some jokes. Let's have a chat. Sounds great. Uh, well, thank you so much, everyone. I don't think there's anything else I need to say. Have a good night. Hope you enjoyed the episode.